This week on WealthTrack, Poland Global Growth Fund's Damon Ficklin explains why his high-quality growth companies should continue to outperform the market in the years ahead. Other elements that I think are important is, one, getting the underlying earnings growth right. If you look at our portfolios over history, they've been very persistent in delivering that double-digit growth profile, even during really challenging times. The five-star gold-rated portfolio manager joins us this week on Consuelo Mac WealthTrack. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, ClearBridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. The shift from COVID lockdown to COVID reopening has been stunning. Depending upon the stage of reopening, economies around the world are rebounding. The International Monetary Fund has raised its forecast for world growth to 6% for 2021 and is still robust 4.4% for 2022. Citing fiscal stimulus in a few large developed economies, mainly the U.S., and increased vaccinations worldwide. The market's response has been swift and dramatic, particularly in the U.S., where major market indices have continued to set new records since the market bottomed in March of 2020. And starting in the fourth quarter of 2020, there has been a major shift in leadership from growth to value, large cap to small cap, secular to cyclical. So what do you do if you are running a highly concentrated large cap growth fund? That is the challenge facing today's guest. Damon Ficklin is head of the large company growth team at Poland Capital. He is also lead portfolio manager of its global growth strategy, including the Poland Global Growth Fund, which he launched in 2015. Since inception, global growth has delivered 17% annualized returns, beating its index and peers by a hefty margin. The fund carries a five-star rating from Morningstar and a gold analyst rating for its institutional shares and silver for investor shares. Ficklin, who joined Poland Capital in 2003 as an analyst, eventually became co-portfolio manager of the firm's flagship focus growth strategy, having worked with founder David Poland until his death in 2012. Since this is Ficklin's first appearance on WealthTrack, I began with the basics. I asked him to describe Poland's high conviction, low turnover strategy of focusing on highest quality growth companies with margins of safety. What does that actually mean? We're looking for companies with, you know, return on equity of 20% or greater um, economically, better than average uh-huh. earnings growth, uh, high and improving margins, true organic revenue growth, low levels of debt. So those are kind of like objective definitions, if you will, of quality. And then more subjectively, what we're looking for is businesses that are truly sustainably competitively managed. And, and so that's, that's what we're trying to get down to, the essence of what we're looking for in our investment process. And, and the margin of safety element, because you describe yourselves as growth investors with a value bent. So what, what are the margins of safety? The margin of safety is in the sustainability, the durability, the advantages within the business. And 
maybe okay. I can you know digress for a minute and just kind of talk a little bit about our philosophical roots to try to connect sure. it because the margin of safety concept was originally a value investing concept, right? Benjamin Absolutely. Graham. Absolutely, Benjamin Graham. Yep. Popularized the margin of safety concept and the original concept was very much about valuation, right? It was yes. paying 50 cents on the dollar and that differential between intrinsic value and the price was that margin of safety. Right. Well, and, and David Poland, who was the founder of Poland Capital has since passed, but he, he designed our philosophy and process from studying Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett, all the you know uh, the value investing greats, uh-huh. and um, but our application of that is into a growth universe. So to us, the margin of safety is less about buying a dollar for fifty cents and finding the safety in that disconnect, but it's buying a company that may be worth a dollar today, but with the confidence based on the strength, sustainability, the competitive advantages of this business that it will be worth two, three, four dollars in the future. Um, So that's really the margin of safety to us is in the certainty around that growth profile over the long term. So really we we invest across the growth spectrum and I think this is also somewhat unique for a growth investor. So what we're trying to do at, at the high level or in aggregate is to construct portfolios that are growing earnings at a, a low to mid-teens rate with the expectation that that earnings growth rate will eventually drive the investment return, you know, provided you pay a fair price. If, if you hold a company for five plus years, or sometimes 10 more years, but every company plays a slightly different role. So we might have you know, a high growth company like an Adobe or an Alibaba at the, the, the right hand end of the spectrum, if you can imagine the spectrum. And then on the left hand, you might, you might have a Accenture or an Abbott Labs that are not going to grow mid-teens, but we think they can sustainably deliver a low double digit total shareholder return through good times and bad times. And, and they provide a lot of ballast, you know, when you're in an uncertain environment. And then, then we have companies all in between on that spectrum. An- another aspect to this is when you, you you have a a very focused strategy it's concentrated and so at you know any given time I mean, your portfolio has what 25 to 30 holdings is that right yes that's correct and you mentioned uh, david poland who founded the firm in 1989 and over the you know 30 some odd years i think uh the firm has only owned about 150 names uh which is really incredible you know over a several decade period when you think of a concentrated portfolio, people consider that to be generally to be high risk. But that has not been your experience. And why is it uh, that you don't think your portfolio um, has been high risk? Certainly investing across the growth spectrum, you know, having an Accenture and Abbott uh, alongside an Adobe or, an, or uh, Alibaba plays mm-hmm. a role in that. Um, those companies, you know, tend to hold up well in tough times. Um, Other elements that I think are important is one, getting the underlying earnings growth right. If you look at our portfolios over history, they've been very persistent in delivering that double digit growth profile, even during really challenging times. Then the final thing that I would add is just, it's it's part of what we don't own as well. So we're not Mm -hmm. in leveraged finance. We're not in commodities or commoditized businesses. These are often the areas of the market that are most negatively affected when you get into a crisis. You mentioned that there are some companies that you've held for very long periods of time. Can you give me an example of 
one that's in the uh, the global growth portfolio? Ab- absolutely. Um, many of them actually have been in the mm-hmm. portfolio okay. since day one. So the global strategy incepted a little over six years ago. Um, and nearly half of the holdings actually have been in there since day one. But two that I'll, I'll bring to the surface here is Visa and MasterCard. And uh-huh. we've actually owned them nearly a decade, if you include the U.S. focus growth strategy in, in the conversation. Um, so predating the launch of our global growth strategy. And we think they're, they're very exemplary of what we're looking for. I mean, incredible growth businesses. It's really, really hard to replicate either of these businesses, as you know. Um, and if you look at the world, kind of ex-China, and I'm, I'm excluding China only because it's a little bit of a different animal from the payment right. point of view. But if you exclude China, it's uh, despite this move towards credit, debit, digital forms of payment, which has been well in motion for a decade or more, um, we're still you know, 70% check and cash in other forms mm-hmm. of payment that are going to migrate to credit, debit, and digital. So we think there's a great uh, growth profile over the long term. And needless to say, the margins on these businesses are astronomical as well. Now, there's a new twist uh, in their area, and that's PayPal, right? Yeah. we, we and, and that is also, is that a more recent holding of yours? It is. We actually yeah. added that during 2020. So mm-hmm. at about the mid part of the year, May, June timeframe, as uh as we watched what was unfolding in the world and everything was being pushed online, well, long-term Visa and MasterCard will benefit as things move online as well. They actually have greater share in the online world than they do in the offline world, if you mm-hmm. can believe that. Um, but uh, PayPal is exclusively serving the online uh, business, if you will. Yes, and, transactions. And, and, mm-hmm. and most specifically, even the, the mobile online business, which is the highest growth and most attractive part of the market, especially in a COVID type environment. And so we added PayPal because we saw a tremendous step up that S-curve. You know, this company's already been kind of climbing the S-curve of digital adoption for a long while, but right. the environment really forced users to try the product and then to engage repetitively and kind of get comfortable. And so uh, it was a big step up in new user acquisition and a very positive inflection in engagement. Both of those things um, made us very optimistic about the the future for PayPal as well. Are are there other companies uh, that you own that have really uh, benefited as well from the acceleration of the digital, the transfer to digital? Adobe is, is a great example. They're a leader in digital media and digital marketing. And, you know, if, if you didn't have a digital marketing plan on January of 2020, you figured out pretty quickly that I need to figure out how to engage with my customers. And, and right. so that was, again, an S-curve that Adobe was already climbing pre-pandemic, but really kind of accelerated. If you look at Microsoft, which is another big holding for us, um, you saw immediately very, very large Teams implementations, Microsoft Teams collaboration platform implementations. Also, their, their Azure, you know, their web infrastructure mm-hmm. business. Um, businesses immediately realized the need to be in the cloud. And, and so that was benefiting. And you can really kind of go down the line, even Tencent, which we own in China, you know, which is a leader in uh, basically everything, social media and engagement, right. entertainment and gaming. Um, people had a lot more time to play games and, and connect online than uh, in prior years. So many businesses, those are a few examples, but I'd say it was a benefit across many of our technology companies. 
You, you know, you mentioned Tencent. Uh, Alibaba is another big holding of yours. Mm -hmm. uh, China is, as you said earlier, kind of a different animal. And uh, we've seen, uh, you know, much more aggressive government intervention in the private sector. And specifically, uh, I mean, Alibaba uh, has really been under pressure from the Chinese government. So how do you figure that into your uh, evaluation of that company's prospects and also Tencent's as well? In the case of Alibaba, we actually took advantage of some of the, the near-term challenges they were going through to add mm -hmm. to our already significant position. So right at the beginning of 2021, we increased our position in Alibaba, making it one of our most conviction-weighted positions. Why do you have the confidence that it's, it's not that the Chinese intervention uh, in Alibaba is, is uh, you know, really going to hurt the business model and therefore its financial prospects? I'd say, first off, the, the business model is very sound, very straightforward, actually, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's not very complicated. It's, at the end of the day, it's matching um, sellers with buyers. There's 800 right. plus million people that wake up and choose to log on to one of their uh, platforms, properties, and buy goods. And then for that very reason, there's tons and tons of merchants that sets, they go there, they want to sell their good there because that's where the buyers are buying. Um, mm -hmm. and, and again, they're electing to. It's very open. And, and it, if it didn't work for them, they wouldn't go there. At right. the end of the day, also, Alibaba is taking a very modest cut, what you can call a take rate um, or the revenues that they're reaping as a function of the gross merchandise value that's being transacted over their platforms. Mm -hmm. It's very modest. It's roughly 4%. If you look at a company like uh, Amazon, that take rate could be as high as 15%. Mm -hmm. um, so we think they're actually doing a lot of good. And, and I think another very important point is we think they're aligned with the long-term interests of the Chinese government. So the Chinese government is really trying to move towards a more consumer-driven economy. Right. And, and so there's very few companies that are actually doing more <laughs> to support that aim than Alibaba is. If you look at their new user acquisition over the past couple of years, 60 plus percent of those users are coming from tier four, tier five, you know, smaller cities in China. So they're quite literally bringing, you know, the broader uh, Chinese marketplace into the modern economy. You know, we mentioned the beneficiaries of, um, of kind of the, you know, the acceleration uh, into digital transactions. Uh, what, were there any companies in your portfolio that, that suffered from the, uh, the pandemic experience? Yeah, there, there were a few, um, uh -huh. you know, and, and I'd say if you depended upon, you know, brick and mortar stores, having your doors open to sell your product, it was a challenging 2020 for, for any business. Right. And so, so we own Nike, we own Adidas, we own Starbucks. Um, mm -hmm. And in all of those businesses uh, really had some bumps in the road, if you will. They did. Um, but if you look at, uh, for example, Nike or Adidas, they've been steadily moving towards a more direct model as well. So mm -hmm. you know, the legacy is the predominance of their business is sold through a wholesale channel of retail partners. But right. first they launch their own stores, then they have their own direct online business. In fact, that's where they would like things to go. It's a higher uh -huh. margin business. It's a direct relationship that they control digitally with the consumer. They can wrap in rewards and all sorts of engagement tools. And so the first order effect of the pandemic was not good because all of a sudden 70% of your sales are coming through brick and mortar doors that are closed. 
Right. But the second order effect is actually positive in that it's shifting or are moving consumers to the channel that they would most prefer. And they're really taking direct ownership of that relationship, right? So, so we had modest positions, uh, what I would call across consumer discretion, but there are mm -hmm. some businesses that we think are very, very well positioned for the long term. And, and we would count uh, Nike and Adidas in, in that camp. In fact, what added, about Starbucks? Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, um, we think Starbucks has a bright future as well. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of a different um, situation in the, in the fact that you can't really sell coffee online. <laughs> so right. at the end of the day, you, you still have to have somebody come to your store but yes. um, Starbucks has invested tremendously in the assets, whether they be digital assets, rewards, uh, or the capability to make that transaction as easy as possible, right? You can do mobile order and pay, order it online, go pick it up in a drive-through or curbside, or just run into the store. So all of those things are removing as much of the friction as you can. Um, but again, at the end of the day, it's a physical good and you need to kind of go, somebody has to hand it to you. Why are you still coming out and saying, you know what, compared to all of the other options that we've got, as far as companies that we could own, mm -hmm. we still want to be in this business? I think one thing that's important to kind of bring back to the front is, is that we really are long-term investors. So every uh -huh. time we make an investment, we're thinking about the next five plus years. We, we think um, Starbucks is very, very well positioned. We do think that there's a, a long-term opportunity for Starbucks, even though they're kind of wed to the brick and mortar format. We mentioned the criteria that it takes to get into your portfolio. What does it take to get out of your portfolio? Can you give us a recent example of a company that you've basically you've sold um, and yeah. that you decided that it just doesn't belong there anymore and, and what the reasons are? There are a few reasons that we might exit a position. You know, one of the most important, though, I'd say not the most frequent is if there's a real risk that's emerged or the business right. is being challenged. It's really <laughs> deteriorating. Um, again, not frequent, but very important reason with a concentrated portfolio. You do not want to take any undue risk. And mm -hmm. so if, if we really see that kind of a risk emerge, we're very quick to get out of the way. I'd say the more common reason would be that um, the business is either just not living up to our expectation or we find something a little more compelling. So despite uh -huh. our low turnover, um, we are occasionally successful in finding something that we think is better than something we already own. And then finally, valuation. It's always a consideration. We're looking forward, trying to make sure we get that uh, expected return that we're after. Um, we, we do think long-term, so we're not uh, apt to buy or sell or act or trim or add um, based on uh, short-term movements in the stocks, but mm -hmm. at times the valuations just get too stretched and you have to trim or sell. A, a recent example um, would be Oracle. We actually owned mm -hmm. Oracle, uh, a leader in database, uh, the s second largest company in the application space and software. Um, great company, uh, very, very sticky products. It's, <laughs> I've, I've heard the expression, it's, uh, it's, it's, it would be more preferable to do dental surgery without anesthetic than to rip your database out of your company and replace it with a new database. So, <laughs> so it, true. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very hard to remove them or displace them. Uh -huh. um, they've been going through a transition to the cloud, as many, many companies have been doing. But uh, for your database and some of the core applications like ERP, it's, it's a little bit of a slow journey. And so, in short, um, we just felt that they weren't growing at the rate that we uh, expected. And yep. we felt that there were other opportunities that were more compelling. 
Speaking of price, I mean, for the last you know decade, large cap growth has been the place to be. Is there a sense that you know the companies in your portfolio are fully valued or fairly valued? Uh, are there any bargains out there? I'd say, broadly speaking, the market has certainly become a little more richly valued. Um, we've uh-huh. been through a tough time, and the earnings of the broader market certainly haven't supported some of the share price movements in the broader market. Right. Um, that being said, when you look down into our portfolio, our companies really are delivering. So they're, they're, they're performing well from a returns perspective, but it's being driven by, for the, for the greatest part, by the underlying earnings of, of the company. So we've seen a little bit of multiple expansion in our portfolio uh-huh. as well, um, but not nearly as dramatic as you've seen in the market. And and the aggregate valuation of our portfolios are at the higher end of what we've seen historically, but not out of bounds of what's normal. Um, so it, it is a little bit uh, more challenging to find uh, values or steals in this market, but they exist. And you know, one, one of the companies that uh, we added uh, about a year and a half ago and, and certainly performed well through the pandemic, but you might not have expected it up, up front, would have been Abbott Labs. Um, uh-huh. Very steady, diversified healthcare company, and you know typically grows in the low double digits. This is not a you know super fast growing business, but um, due to its in- in ingenuity and innovativeness, they uh, basically developed multiple COVID tests through 2020 and have have built a nearly eight billion dollar run rate business in a very very short period of wow. time. So despite pressure on some of their uh, medical technology businesses or some of their diagnostics businesses besides COVID, um, they've still managed to deliver a very good result in, in our position for growth going forward. So something else that has happened, of course, uh, in, in your you know, area of expertise, which is large cap growth, is that you know, growth, which has been in the market leadership position again for a decade, uh, is now been eclipsed because we've got this global economic boom going on, and suddenly you know the laggards uh, and the uh, the rejected uh, sectors uh, of you know the last ten years, th- the cyclicals are have come back really strongly. How much of a, a challenge is that, and what's what's your view of it? Our view is that over time earnings is going to drive the outcome. <laughs> and so okay. um, it's very normal to go through these cycles. As we look forward, we think this is more of a cyclical adjustment as opposed to a secular change in what's happening. If you look at all of the trends that were occurring pre-COVID, all, we've touched on a lot of them, right? The, the move mm-hmm. from offline to online with companies like Nike or Adidas, um, the move towards digital forms of uh, marketing, digital advertising with Alphabet and Facebook and the like, mm-hmm. um, the move from offline to e-commerce, like all of those things are well in motion. And if anything, the pandemic accelerated those secular yes. trends. So we think this is a short-term adjustment. And as we get back to quote-unquote normal in terms of va- normal earnings, normal valuations on those earnings, we think growth is still going to win the day. And so that, that's how we kind of take in what's happening here. So Damon Ficklin, one last question. If uh, for our one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, what would you 
recommend that we all own some of, again, in a diversified long-term portfolio? You could really pick almost any of the 27 companies in our global growth portfolio, um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention Abbott Labs. I talked, talked right. about it a little bit before. Um, it's not at the highest end of the growth spectrum, um, but it's a 100-plus-year-old storied U.S. institution, very diversified. The, the management team is excellent. They've, they've been um, great capital allocators. We're, we're usually pretty skeptical about companies that are acquiring or buying um, growth, but they've mm-hmm. done it very well. Um, and it's diversified in, in and of itself, right? They're a leader in diagnostics, a leader in medical technology, a leader in adult and infant nutritionals, and then finally a leader in uh, uh, branded generic drugs. They're highly cash generative. The company's steady. It's delivered you know, double-digit earnings growth really through environments, and 2020 was another great example of, mm-hmm. of how they've pulled through. Company set to grow earnings about 30% this year, uh, wow. given the boost from COVID sales, and, mm-hmm. and believes, both management believes and we believe, they can grow at a double digit rate after they kind of digest that. And, and I feel uh, confident in, in sharing a, an investment idea that's a 100 plus year old institution that's delivered constantly over the years as well. Thank you so much, Damon Ficklin, for being on Wealth Track for the first time. And I look forward to uh, checking in with you at a later date. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is review your portfolio for some rebalancing opportunities. The recent rotation in market leadership from growth sectors like big U.S. tech companies to cyclical sectors, including financials and energy, has been stunning. Evidence is mounting that we are in the midst of a powerful global economic rebound from COVID, and that means that many formerly unloved cyclical businesses, travel and leisure, truckers, shippers, manufacturers, home builders that are dependent upon economic growth will continue to benefit. So review your holdings and make sure you have some exposure to these former laggards, which have become today's market leaders. The value of periodic rebalancing, even after a major market shift, has rarely been this obvious. Next week on WealthTrack, a rare interview with great value investor Stephen Romick. He'll share his contrarian views from the helm of his legendary FPA Crescent Fund. In this week's extra feature, Damon Ficklin discusses lessons learned from the COVID experience. You can find it on WealthTalk.com. Also, please keep following us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for spending your valuable time with us. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and a productive one.